Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. I told Don as I stopped in there, I said, well, I want to be over there with you today, but they didn't allow me to be. So you're stuck with me over here this morning, <laughs> but it's good to see you. Um, uh, any, anybody in Passover mode? Who knows what Passover mode is? If, you, if you've celebrated Passover, you know there's a certain mode to that <laughs> of uh, removing yeast and that type of thing. That's not really what I'm talking about today, but it is that time of the year. And I think, uh, thank you to the worship team, those particular songs that were chosen that uh, you felt led to share really do fit in well. Well, speaking of this season, I want to share, first of all, a passage of scripture from Sefer Vayikra from the book of Leviticus that in, in essence tells us about this time. Leviticus chapter 23, I'd encourage you to read all that chapter. And as I've mentioned in Shabbaton and Tuesday night Bible class, if you don't know Leviticus 23, maybe this is the season to learn Leviticus 23. Read that chapter, diagram it, and make outline of that chapter because it expresses to us the, what we call the biblical calendar. The Moadim, the Lord's appointed times, the feast days, um, and the celebrations, there is a fast day also included. But Leviticus 23, beginning with verse 4, we'll read to the beginning of verse 6. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Chagamatzot, to the Lord. And the text goes on from there, uh, explaining even more about these feast days, uh, beginning as we just read here in verse 4 of Leviticus 23 with uh, Pesach and Chagamatzot. Now, I want to point out to you, and you, many of you are aware, and in fact it may have already impacted you or your families, that I've been noticing a shift that's been occurring across the face of the earth. No, I haven't been all over the face of the earth, but I've noticed the, 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 it's getting back, it's getting around this, this particular idea. There's a, a shift that's occurring among believers, not only here in North America, but also in Central America, in Asia, in Africa, in Europe, in Australia, really across the face of the earth, a shift has been occurring. And the shift has been connected to what we like to call the biblical calendar. You know, there are a lot of different calendars. There's the school calendar, there's the financial character calendar, there's the, do I say this, the tax year calendar. <laughs> But the one that's really dear to me, and I pray it's dear to you, is the biblical calendar. 
And again, pointing back to Leviticus 23, where it's all lined up for us. For some of you, this is old hat. For others, this is a brand new kippah, brand new uh, hat for you. But the biblical calendar, uh, across the face of the earth, people are starting to catch on to it. Many years ago, I've been a believer for a long time. I won't tell you how long, but I can tell you, I knew of absolutely no congregations that were doing Passover. By that, I mean believing congregation. It just wasn't happening. Now it's quite common. There are a lot of Passover seders going on. There were very few of, I, I can't even recall any, way back in the early 70s when I came to the Lord, that celebrated Sukkot. Just wasn't there. But something's happening now. And the appointed times of the Lord, the Moedim as they're called, the appointed times of the Lord, they're, they're catching on. It's, it's noticeable. How many of you say that that's true? You can tell that in your own life, and you've seen this beyond yourself. Go ahead and raise your hand if you know that's true. It is. It's happening in Africa and Asia, all across the face of the earth. Now, I believe this is important for us. Some would call it a prophetic sign. I believe that's true also. But, for example, let's take today. Today is April 1st, as everyone knows. How many of you realize today's the first of the month? <laughs> it's April 1st according to the Gregorian calendar that was established in the 1600s. Uh, dare I say it, but the biblical calendar is much deeper than that and goes back much farther than that, all the way back to the writings in Sefer Vayikra and beyond. But April 1st of the Gregorian calendar, today is also the 10th of the Hebrew calendar month of Nisan. And you may, have, may not have noticed this and as Terry went through the communique. If you look on your communique, each Shabbat, the, both the, the Gregorian month and date and the Hebrew calendar date is on your communique. Now we are in the first calendar, Hebrew calendar month, which is called Nisan. We're in the 10th day of Nisan. I know that. I was greeted uh, last uh, week with someone that said, Happy New Year. Now, I understood what that person was saying. But what they were pointing out was that the biblical calendar starts in, uh, you know, one of the calendars starts in, in this month, in the month of Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan. Today is the 10th day of the month of Nisan. And the biblical celebrations that we read about in Scripture, such as I've already mentioned, Pesach, Chagamatzot, and even first fruits connected to the barley harvest, all this happens in this week ahead, begins to happen this coming week. The first day of Passover, Pesach, according to most estimations, will be this coming Wednesday night. And I'm thankful that this year as a congregation, for those who have signed up and registered, this year as a congregation, we're having our community Seder on the second night, which is very commonly done in the Jewish community to have a community Seder, if possible, on the second night. Some even have two Seders at their own home. Now, what we sometimes don't realize, and I think this is where the lights, the proverbial lights are going on across the face of the earth, what there's starting to be a realization is that, oh, sure, I read from Sefer Vavikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, which many consider that book to be flyover material. You know, you just skim over that. There's nothing there for you when actually there is. But that's how it's viewed. But it's, it's, being, it's being understood now that the Brit Chadashah, the new covenant, is also connected to the biblical calendar. 
It's not connected to the Gregorian calendar. So if you're following the biblical calendar, then you start reading the New Covenant, what it says in the New Testament, the writings of, the writings of Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, and, and the, the Besorot, the Gospels concerning Yeshua, you catch various dates and, and recognitions of the season within the, the text of the New Covenant. So, again, the New Covenant doesn't use the Gregorian calendar. I've never read anywhere in any of the writings of the New Covenant, January 1st. <laughs> but you will see other dates and other uh, pointing outs of the season that it was in. And, in fact, this particular season, Pesach, Passover season, that we're coming into in the next few days, God willing, this particular season is mentioned often and this is where I think it gets quite interesting, at least to me. It's interesting because we can now, because we recognize that today is the 10th of Nisan, the last few days leading up to Passover, we can recognize that we read the New Covenant that there were leading up to Passover, there were events that happened with Yeshua and his apostles just before Passover. And we all know what happened at Passover season. In fact, we're going to commemorate his shed blood and his broken body for us here today. We'd say, Adon, the Lord's Supper. So the biblical calendar does connect with the New Testament, the New Covenant. And if you carefully read it, you can put some of the events that we read about. Some of them are very well known to us. I'm going to share a couple in just a minute or two. But some of the events that are very well known to us, we can connect with the biblical calendar. And guess what now? We are in the 21st century, and we're in the time frame of some of the very events that happen and are recorded in the New Testament. So while we're about our business now, we can look back and say, well, this is what the apostles were doing at this very time, the 10th of Nisan. This is what was happening with Yeshua at this very time, the week before Passover. And you know, if we had lived 2,000 years ago, and how many of you wouldn't love to live in Jerusalem right now? Many of us would. But if we had lived approximately 2,000 years ago in the first century, we lived in Jerusalem. in Jerusalem, we would have witnessed some remarkable events this very date, the 10th of Nisan, the 11th of Nisan, the 12th of Nisan, the 13th of Nisan, the 14th to the 15th of Nisan, where ushers in Pesach. We would have witnessed some incredible events in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on this very date, the 10th of Nisan. Jewish people from all over the world 2,000 years ago, while the temple was in existence, from all over the world were gathering in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? Some of you have been to Jerusalem. And you know you have to make aliyah, you have to ascend to get up to Jerusalem. Can you imagine the streams of people coming from all over the world? And they didn't all dress with a certain type of clothes. They came from different locales and wore different clothing. And they didn't all eat the same food. I believe they ate kosher food, biblically kosher food. But there they were with their foods, with their resources that they were bringing with them for this journey, this pilgrimage as we call it now, because Passover... Hagamatzot is one of the Shlosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage feasts. So Jewish people, devout Jews, came from all over to Jerusalem at Passover. 
And we know that this connects also because in Acts chapter 2, the second great pilgrimage feast, which is Pentecost or Shavuot, it tells us in Acts chapter 2 in, in very plain language that there were devout Jews from all over the world that had gathered in Jerusalem just like they would have done at Passover time. And historians tell us that some who had the means to and were able to, they would come up for Passover, come to Jerusalem from far away. It's a long trip. They couldn't, they couldn't get an Uber and drive there or fly into the Lud airport and fly there in Tel Aviv and then take a shirut up to, uh, to, to Jerusalem. No, they had to travel there. Difficult walk. Using animals and different donkeys and camels and however they could. And many came by, by feet. Actually, the term shlosh regalim really has to do with your regal, with your leg. Pilgrimage. And there they were. At this very day, the 10th of Nisan, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, it was a scene to remember as devout Jews gathered. And some, as I was mentioning, some would come during the time of Passover, and you know what they would do? They would wait and stay all the way to Shavuot, 50 days or more, find lodging, found place to, to go. They were to come up for Passover. They were to come and they were present the Passover offering, the lamb without blemish, and also a free will offering. This is referenced in the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. This is one of the references to this. Notice the inclusiveness of this statement. Three times a year, how many times a year? Three times, Passover season, Pentecost season, tabernacle season, three times a year, all your males, that didn't mean women weren't allowed, it's just the minimum would be your males, the men. Three times a year, all your males shall appear where? Before the Lord, that's the main thing, presenting ourselves to the Lord, but then in the place which he chooses, which is Jerusalem, Jerusalem. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. And there, verse 17 says, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord, which God, your God, which he has given you. So as these individuals traveled to Jerusalem, they were traveling bearing gifts, which is a foretelling of those who came to Yeshua when he was born just outside of Jerusalem, bearing gifts. Now, 2,000 years ago, as I mentioned, Jerusalem at this time, the 10th of Nisan, it was a happening place. Picture it. The people as a family unit, a family unit, which often included not just the individual's family members, but friends that connected to a particular family, and sometimes even neighbors, this family unit, they would go, and they'd come from all over. And these groups would interact with one another. As the families were ascending towards Jerusalem, they interacted with one another. You know what they did? They said shalom to each other. <laughs> They walk together sometimes. There's much rabbinic tradition about this. They would walk together sometimes. You know what else they did? They made friends. 
You know what else they did? They extended hospitality to one another. You know what else they did? They helped feed one another. You know what else they did? They watched each other's children. <laughs> and you can fill in all the blanks that would happen with this great throng of people ascending to Jerusalem. And I'm not exaggerating when I say a great throng of people because it was a great throng of people. They would get to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem. They need to present these offerings to the Lord, the land without blemish, and a freewill offering from them uh, according to their means, how much the Lord had blessed them. They would get there, and they began haggling. People that go to Jerusalem now, you still have a bit of haggling going on. How many of you have ever had to hang, haggle for something in your life at one time or another? It's not as common in the United States, but it's very common in the Mizrach Tihon in the Middle East. And I know I've had the, the blessing and the privilege to take quite a few groups over the years uh, to, to Israel. And I know for Americans, that was one of the toughest things, haggling. <laughs> Americans wanted to see the price on the item, and then that's a settled price, and hopefully it's a, a sale price. You know, that nice four-letter word, S-A-L-E, price. But back then... They haggle. This still happens in Jerusalem. If you go into the bazaar there in Jerusalem in the old city, they were haggling. And there were money changers. Why were there money changers? Well, people were coming from all over the world, and they had different valuations of money that they used. Those who came from Greece, they used that money that's used in Greece. Those who came from Yemen, which was a large group, they used whatever the, the currency was in Yemen. Those who came from as far as Hodu from India, they used the currency that was there in India. Can you see where a good business mind would come up with the idea of money changing? Of course. By the way, as I've been trying to say that some of what happened 2,000 years ago, at least date-wise, connects with us. Does the idea of money changer connect with the new covenant? Yes. Yeshua at least once, possibly twice, turned over the tables of dishonest and unscrupulous money changers in the temple area. They would arrive, the pilgrims, they would arrive at Jerusalem, and you know what they needed? If they didn't have family there, you know what they needed? They couldn't find an Airbnb. They had to have a place to stay with their children, with their family. You know what else they needed? They needed the supplies for Passover. Because Passover is not just business as usual. Those of you who have commemorated Passover, you know, even here in a place like Oklahoma City, sometimes it's difficult to find matzot, matzah. Some have said a special prayer, thank you, Lord, for making Amazon, because now I can order my matzah. And there are other items. Besides the lamb, there's the bitter herbs. And those three were absolutely essential. Even in the first century, rabbinic writers said there's three things that were essential for the celebrating of Passover would be the lamb, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs. Now, while they're doing all this, they're preparing for the Passover Seder, trying to find a place to live, doing all that they need to do for Pesach, there was the issue of, let me use the Hebrew word, yeladim, children. <laughs> they had to take care of their children. Many of you who've traveled with children, you know some children are a little easier to travel with than others. Some can be very difficult to travel with. Uh, we, we, we have these various axioms about that. For example, even someone this week said this to me, 
are we there yet? <laughs> they had all that going on without the, the, the nearby Ritz Hotel or anything there to go to. All that was the, the, enmeshed in the, the scene, the scenario that was happening in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. At this very season, the 10th of Nisan, there they were scurrying about, haggling, making sure they had a place to stay. As new ones, you know what? Let's be honest about it. Not everyone arrives on time. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Do you think they all arrived on the 10th of Nisan? No, some straggled in on the 11th, some from the 12th, from the 13th. And there were even some who probably just barely made it through the door, so to say, of the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, to be there at the Pesach time. And it was precisely, precisely the hours, the 9th and 11th hours, we're told, which is likely between the hour of 3 and 5 p.m., afternoon. It's on the 14th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan. Today is the 10th of Nisan, remind you. They would present their Passover lamb at the temple. They would present it to be inspected and looked at and certified, so to say, by the Kohanim who were in, in, uh, on duty that time, certified, is this a real Passover lamb without blemish? And would be inspected. Then when it got the seal of approval, uh, then it, was the, it could be slaughtered, and then they could eat the Passover meal after that. And the custom is, and it's actually a commandment in the Torah, that they had to eat the whole lamb. Hence, I mentioned in the beginning that it wasn't just a small family group. So suppose it's the husband, the wife, and one child. Well, eating a whole lamb between three people in one sitting, I know some of us are saying, well, that would be great. Well, no, after a while, you'll be saying, please go to the neighbors and ask them to come join us. Or, honey, did you invite your relatives to come for this? What a scene it was. So all that happened in the 14th day of Nisan is when they really started to take off the Passover celebration. We have recorded history about this, and I want to share with you what the uh, Pharisee named Josephus wrote. This is what he wrote about first century Jerusalem at the time of Passover. Very important. It's also found in other places, but he's very specific about it. He wrote, quote, they slay their sacrifices from the ninth hour to the 11th hour on the 14th of Nisan, and then it describes the family group, says, with a company of not less than 10 belonging to every sacrifice. That makes sense. 10 people eating on a lamb? Yes, that makes sense. With a company of not less than 10 belonging to every sacrifice, for it is not lawful for them to have the feast singly by themselves. And then he makes this note in his writings. He said, Referring to him and his group, he was a Pharisee, he said, and many of us are 20 in a group, 20 in a group. There's one of the deep customs of why do we have a community Seder? Very much going back for millennia, we connect as a community. Not everyone can have a Seder at home. We have a community Seder. We can all connect hundreds of people together celebrating the lamb or eating the lamb, partaking of the lamb. And he mentions of his own group, he says, and many of us are 20 in a group. 
So they'd group together and they'd bring this lamb for the sacrifice to the Kohanim. The priest found the number of the sacrifices, listen to this please, was 256,500. Whoa, was right. Now imagine, we're not talking about 250,000 256,500 little lambs. Well, that's enough to worry about right there. But these are 256,500 lambs that had to be sacrificed. They were the Pesach offering. I don't even want to describe to you what that could have looked like, smelled like, etc. Think about it. This was going on in Jerusalem at this very time, just a few days from now. The priest found, the Kohanim found the number of the sacrifices was 256,500, which we assume 10 or so feasted together. Josephus comes up with this number based on the number of sacrifices. And again, I mentioned he was a Pharisee, which meant he had connection to the priesthood. Where did he get his numbers from? He was an insider. <laughs> So if we assume he writes 10 or so feasted together, he brings up this ballpark figure of how many people actually showed up at Jerusalem at Passover. He says it amounts to 2,700,200 people. Wow. Can I say that Hebrew word here today? Wow. <laughs> but please notice what next he says. Going by the number of Passover lambs that were sacrificed, 256,500, give or take some, throw some Kohanim in there, etc. He comes up with 2,700,200 people. Then there's the B-U-T word in his writing. He says, but this counted only those who were pure and holy. For as to those that have leprosy or other contagious disease, or persons that are otherwise polluted, it is not lawful to be partakers of the sacrifice. I want to remind you of something that another Pharisee wrote. Rab Shaul, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, Paul, the apostle, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 5, in the Tree of Life version, Rob Shul writes what's in accord with Pharisaic custom and even resonates with what Josephus wrote. Quote, your boasting is no good. Don't you know that a little chametz, chametz as we call it here, yeast, a, a rising agent, a, a, a rising agent, don't you know that a little yeast, a little chametz leavens the whole batch of dough? He's speaking basically Passover terminology. What does he say? Get rid of the old chametz so you may be a new batch. And if we are believers in Yeshua and we've been born again by the Holy Spirit, the old man is supposed to be gone. New life has come. It's death to life for us. He's given us life Get rid of the old chametz so you may be a new batch, just as you are unleavened. And then one of his most important descriptions of Yeshua, especially at this time of the year, he says, for Messiah, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. How many are thankful for our Passover lamb? I am. <laughs> Blessed be his name. <laughs> 
Then he continues, therefore, verse 8, let us celebrate the feast. There's a commandment there. Let us celebrate the feast. It's a good thing to celebrate Passover in a community like ours. Let us celebrate the feast not with old chametz, the chametz of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread. And I love how the Tree of Life version says it after that, the matzah of sincerity and truth. Now, how many of you like matzah? Anybody like matzah here? <laughs> wow, it must be a Messianic Jewish congregation. <laughs> but there's one thing about matzah, it's plain Jane. You know, now there's chocolate covered, and somebody blessed me with some, bless you, whoever that is. <laughs> but there's chocolate covered, and there's all kinds of fancy schmancy type of matzah. But it's plain Jane plank of, uh, some call it a plank, a plank of bread <laughs> with no yeast in it. And uh, it, it would be fun after Passover to just gather together and say, well, what did you do with your matzah? <laughs> Frisbee, you know, <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> but he says, the unleavened bread, no yeast, the matzah of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. Let me read this passage through again, and then I want to express, if I might, six issues that this particular passage in 1 Corinthians brings to us. Here's the passage again from the Tree of Life version, 1 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 6. Your boasting is no good. Don't you know that a little chametz leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old chametz so you may be a new batch, just as you are unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with the old chametz, the chametz of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread, the matzah of sincerity and truth. Now, I want to share with you six issues, I think, that this passage creates or brings to our attention. Six considerations, let me say it that way. Number one, it's just one word, arrogance, arrogance. Arrogance, using this description, is being puffed up, just as yeast puffs up dough, being puffed up. Arrogance is a bad thing to have in our lives. It's not a good thing to have in our lives. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, to me, is a slam-dunk verse about this. Yeshayahu chapter 2, verse 12 says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty. For the day of the Lord shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up. And you know what the prophet said? It shall be brought low. So, friends, if you are dealing with being arrogant towards others, arrogant in your family, or dealing with your children or with your wife or with your husband, if you're being arrogant, please get away from it. If you're celebrating Passover, let that plank of matzah remind you in its, in its simple form that all the, all the arrogance and pride, bad pride has to go. Here's the second issue it brings. It says here, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, bad attitudes and actions can have a negative impact or influence upon us, 
upon our loved ones, upon our congregation, upon our world, and most important of all, upon our walk with the Lord. Bad attitudes and actions, even speech. We may think, oh, well, it wasn't so bad. I don't know how many times I've said that or heard that. Oh, that really wasn't so bad. You know, yeah, I told them off, but I didn't tell them off what I really thought. Well, they cut me off, and I let them know uh, how I felt about them when I drove past. Those type of attitudes permeate. They begin to, they're osmotic. They begin to go out into those that you are in contact with. And they can really impact the people close to you. Now, I want to do the converse of this, though, because I want to encourage us here today. We should realize also that good attitudes and godly words and actions positively influence and impact others. If we get that down also, if we realize and we repent for those bad things, attitudes, etc., we get rid of those, those ungodly type attitudes, and we will receive from the Lord by the power of his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit, that we'll receive from him, be able to walk with godly actions and words, we will influence others. It's got to happen. That's also osmotic. It also will permeate. They also will notice. I think that's all the more reason, with God's help, for us to maintain a godly attitude and to conduct our lives in a godly manner at all times and in all situations. Is that a difficult thing to do? At times it is. Because we really do think at times we have the right to spout off. We have the right to be hurtful in our speech towards others. You know, how many times have we said, oh, he deserved it. He deserved it. We can't be an arbiter of every situation, but I would encourage you to carefully consider because your attitudes and your actions and your words will impact others. Let it be for good. Let it be for God. Let it be for his glory that we speak and do things. Number three. As believers in Yeshua who have repented from our sinful ways, and repentance is a, a time where we turn our life completely over to the Lord, then there's a process that go, we go through where we have to continually repent as situations, temptations come towards us and we succumb. We can walk in godly confidence. The key word here is confidence. Because we know this. <laughs> we can walk with godly confidence because of this. We know Messiah Yeshua, our Passover lamb, has forgiven us and has cleansed us from our sins, as first Yochanan says, from our unrighteousness. We can have confidence in that. How many of you believe that the blood of Yeshua does avail for your life? That the blood of Yeshua does make a difference in your life? And you can have confidence, not because of your greatness, but because he's Gadol, he's great. He's the most high God. He's the one that's coming back again. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's Adon Adonim. So we can have confidence. And you know, the book of Messianic Jews, chapter 10, verse 35, says this. It says, therefore, notice the next phrase, please. Do not cast away your confidence. Do not cast away your confidence. In the context of Hebrews chapter 10, our confidence is based upon our great high priest, Yeshua the Messiah, the Kohen Gadol of the universe. 
Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. His atoning blood avails for you today. If you received him as Lord, and Jonathan made even a plea before in the liturgy, if you haven't received him as Lord, this is your day, the 10th of Nisan, to make that commitment. But if you have received the Lord, you can have confidence that his blood avails for you and that the power, by the power of his spirit, he can lead you into newness of life as you've never experienced before. You know what? It is excelsior in the Lord. It's ever upward in the Lord. John chapter 1, verse 29, and speaking about Yeshua, how interesting that Yohanan Amatbil, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, as he's called, one of the first ways that he distinguishes Yeshua is through lamb terminology. In Yohanan, John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, John the Immerser declared, of all the things he could have said, he could have said anything. He's declaring who Yeshua is. He could have said anything. You know what he says? Behold, you know what he says? Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how he describes him. That's Pesach terminology, isn't it? <laughs> and as his Talmudim, I think, as his disciple, we have much to rejoice about because of what Yeshua has done for us and what he is doing in our lives right now at this 10th day of Nisan as we approach Pesach. Number four, you probably noticed in 1 Corinthians 5 when I read it through a couple of times, it talks about getting rid of all malice, meaning all ill will, all malice. Getting rid of that, any malice we might have towards others has to go, has to be put out of our lives. I like the term jettisoned. I mean, that idea is it's gone quickly and it's got to go. Stay away. It should be jettisoned from our lives, all malice, ill will that we have. And rather than wishing ill upon others, and we can find our reasons that we think we're justified to wish them ill, but rather than wishing ill upon others, we're called to a much higher standard in Yeshua the Messiah. And he lived it out. And he's the one that gives us his spirit to help us to live according to a higher standard in our life. How many of you have been challenged by the words of Matthew 5 that we're going to read right now, beginning with verse 43? Yeshua is speaking, the Sermon on the Mount is commonly called in the Galil and the Galilee area of of Israel by the Sea of Galilee, the Kinneret. He said this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son, S-U-N, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. How many have been challenged by that verse? I have many times. I think, yeah, really, the Lord, get these people, you know, or whatever. They have that malice that you desire ill intent there, and hopefully that's going out of our lives, and the desire for blessing upon other lives is coming in. And also, number five, in connection with this, 
all wickedness or unrighteousness must be put away from our lives. So malice and wickedness must go from our lives. Because such things such as malice, wickedness, unrighteousness, they're not befitting of those who name the holy name of Yeshua and the Messiah. They're just not befitting. They're wrong. Yeshua was blameless. He was righteous. He was kind to all. Even his woe chapter in Matthew 23, if you read it carefully, you read that carefully, it's an incredible chapter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He speaks that in love to them, trying to turn them, trying to, he, he, after interacting with them for, for months and months and months and them trying to trap him, all the different things, he speaks to them, tries to turn them to the right way. And sometimes there's some you do have to speak to, you have to pull them as it were, as the book of Yehuda. Jude says to pull them out of the fire. Sometimes you got to say things tough, but Yeshua was blameless, he was righteous, he was kind to all, and to everyone who called upon him, he still extends his arms. Maybe that's you today, a situation you're facing. Why don't you call upon the name of Yeshua and ask him to help you? If anyone comes to him, he will in no wise reject that person. Romans chapter 6 helps us as it describes how important it is for, the, for us to get rid of the wickedness, to get rid of the old man. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says, Therefore, please notice the phraseology here. Therefore, do not let sin reign or rule in your mortal body. Don't let it rule you. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. If you let sin be the kingmaker in your life, you're going to try to obey that king. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And Rob Shaul in chapter, really chapters 4 through 6, talks greatly about this very theme. Not to let sin reign in our mortal body, but to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And number six, lastly, as it's said in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, we should live our lives in godly sincerity and in accord with Bible-based truth. There's this concept now that every man has their own truth. I don't know. I wonder how God feels about that. <laughs> Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm really thankful for our, our liturgy team. They make sure we hear that every week, that we come here and we can slough off that stuff that we picked up in the world and get rid of those philosophies that are death. And we can be reminded, and I actually think Josh is the first one I ever heard say it from the liturgy. We can be reminded that Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. We want to live our lives in godly sincerity, in Bible-based truth. So we should be people of the word, examining scripture. But the enemy, we know, desires us to live in a totally different manner. Insincerity, which leads to genuine hypocrisy. Insincerity, some other truth rather than true truth, the Word of God. 
He desires that for us. He wants us to be insincere. He wants us to be distanced from the truth of God. That's what our enemy, the enemy of our soul, desires. Even though embracing God's truth will actually do what? It will set us free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I fear lest somehow, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Messiah. Be sure you don't become so complicated that you can't simply seek God. Try to find time where it's just you and the Lord alone. Put the books aside. Just keep his word with you. Spend time with him, the simplicity of faith. Well, the new covenant bears witness to the pomp and the circumstances surrounding Passover, just as the historian Josephus mentioned, as he described it in much more terms than I, I actually read to us this morning. But the new covenant verifies these things, shows us, and again, if we're looking at the biblical calendar, we realize we're in the 10th of Nisan now, and we extrapolate that back towards the first century when Yeshua was in Jerusalem. They were going through things on the 10th of Nisan. I want to read you just two incidents that happened that are at this very time of the year, right now that we're in. The first one is in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. If you remember what Josephus wrote, again, he's a historian, but what he wrote, you can see how this applies to the family of Yeshua. Yeshua's parents went to Jerusalem, Luke 2, verse 41. They went to Jerusalem how often? Every year at the Feast of Passover. Right there, you could do a full stop, and it tells us very much about Yeshua's family. A, they were aware of the Torah and what it said in Leviticus 23 and other places. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, 17, etc., as we read this morning. B, they were not only aware of it, they put it in practice. And you know, there are a lot of people that know Scripture, know the Word, etc. Putting it into practice is real. The proverbial rubber hits the road, isn't it? In our own lives. Put it in practice. When, and he says, love your enemy. Well, let's put that into practice. And I don't know about you, the only way I can personally do that is through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> How many of you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life? We need him. We need him desperately. So Yeshua's parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. When Yeshua was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Verse 43 of Luke 2, when they had finished the day, so they're now at the end of Passover, as they returned, the boy Yeshua lingered behind in Jerusalem. This is a very well-known narrative. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company with the group of people they went with, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, shows you all that was happening in Jerusalem, after three days, they find him. That means there was so much going on in Jerusalem. I mean, how hard could it have been? But with a lot of people, millions, as Josephus said, it was a needle in a haystack sort of thing. 
After three days, they found him in the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. He was sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Friends, there, there it is right there. The key to spiritual growth. One of them, be quick to listen. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to you? Are you able to learn from other people? Good things, the things of the Spirit. He was there listening to them, and then, and this is very part and parcel of Judaism, he was asking questions. The rabbinic saying says there are no bad questions. I mean, you can talk about that a little bit, but no bad questions. <laughs> so he, he was asking them questions, and all who heard him were astonished at his, notice this word, his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, Luke 2. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. <laughs> I mean, there's this picture of uh, Miriam, the mother of Yeshua, just all peaceful and mild. Well, this text says that she was pretty anxious. <laughs> we sought you anxiously. Verse 49, Yeshua said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And then notice here's the catch word. But they did not understand. They did not grasp the statement which he spoke to them. So Yeshua was understanding. He understand, they were astonished at his understanding, it says, and his parents didn't really understand the whole thing. It would come to them later. They would understand. If you're like me, you've probably had times in your walk with the Lord when you didn't grasp or understand what the Lord was trying to get across to you. How many of you have experienced that in your life? There have been times when you just did not know what he was trying to say. I've had that many times in my life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 exhorts us and says, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It calls us to a place of understanding about God's will for our life, to understand it. We must listen to his voice, meditate upon his word, let his word be our manna, meditate upon his word. And then there's this aspect that's so critical for us if we're going to follow him in our lives. We must trust him, trust him that he will get his point across. How many of you have found that God can get his point across to you if you're willing to hear it? That's how he is. He may speak to Don in one way. He may speak to Christopher in one way. He all has to be in line with his word. But he may get his point across. Some, it's through dreams. Other, it's through prophetic word. Other, it's through circumstances. That's a biggie. Circumstances that just keep popping up. And you, you, you take a step back from these unusual circumstances. Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Help me understand what your will is in this matter. But you can be sure of this thing. God desires for there to be a holy union, a holy union between his heart and his will and our heart's obedience to it. He desires a holy union. He wants our heart obedience to be aligned with his heart and his will. That's really the baseline for the marriage supper of the Lamb when he's with his people.
in Revelation. Now I want to share one more and then we'll conclude. One other incident that happened actually right at this time in the Hebrew calendar. And there were quite a few, if you want extra uh, work to look at, as you read through the Gospels, right the season that certain things happen, you're going to be amazed at how much happened before the three major feasts, particularly the first two. But here's something that happened. It's recorded in Yochanan, John chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And it's very specific language. Notice the very first expression here. Then... Six days before the Passover. I might agree that's specific language. Six days before the Passover. So that would be a couple days earlier than today in the calendar. Then six days before Passover, Yeshua came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 2, John 12, there they made him a supper. Six days before Passover, they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Can you imagine that? The one who was dead, Lazarus come forth. There he is sitting and he's eating, etc. For those that thought that this was some kind of, you know, chicanery or something like that that Yeshua did, there's no, there's the man right there. And Scripture tells us that many people listened to Lazarus' testimony and were favorable towards Yeshua because of what Lazarus told them. So there they made him a supper, verse 2, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Miriam, Mary, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Yeshua, and wiped his feet with her hair. Never tells us why she had the spike nard. I mean, could she have had the spike nard because she was going to use that as her special offering to the Lord? We don't know. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray Yeshua, said, verse 5, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was what? A gunif. He was a thief. He was a thief, and he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Yeshua could have went many ways. Do you think Yeshua knew what Judas was doing? Yes, he could have said many things to Judas at this point, and sometimes the forbearance of our Lord is absolutely incredible. Some of us would have spoken, you thief, Judas, what are you doing talking about? We know what you're doing. That's not what Yeshua does. It says that he didn't really care, Judas didn't care about the poor because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Here's how Yeshua responded. But Yeshua said, let her alone. Who's he think of? Miriam. You know, he's thinking of you today. He's thinking of you. You're precious to him. He cares about you. He knew exactly what was happening there. And he turns to Miriam. Yeshua said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. What a revelation that was. 
to Miriam, who was wiping his feet with her hair and the costly spikenard. So friends, although we have been speaking about events, these two that I've mentioned that occurred nearly 2,000 years ago, Passover connects to all believers through the atoning work of Yeshua the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who gave his life for us, the Lamb without blemish, or as John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's him. That's our Messiah. That's who we're going to remember today, and I'm so thankful that we can say these things. Do you believe in him today? Is he your Lord? Is he, a, as we often hear, a capital L Lord? Is he a little L Lord? I hope for all of us he's a capital L Lord. L, capital L-O-R-D, Lord. And if you respond and said, yes, I believe in him, let me, in keeping with what I've been saying here this morning, let me challenge you with a question. You believe in him today. Do your words, actions, attitudes, and motives, do they show your sincere trust in the Lord? Others are seeing those things. Others are hearing those things. Others are observing those things. We know God knows all about us. If you feel like you're lacking, and I often feel in this place, frankly, you feel like you're lacking in your walk with the Lord, please purpose on this 10th of Nisan, please purpose to do better by God's grace and by the empowerment of the Spirit to do better in your life. In this year ahead, Passover to Passover, purpose to do better, to make some progress, to go all the more in your sincerity and truth service of the Lord. Please purpose to do that. And if you need a little extra incentive, let me share one other scripture with you. It's from Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Keep this in your mind, please. We should all keep this in mind. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Some translations say his deeds. As we near Passover this year, Tuesday we're going to talk about the history of the Passover Seder. Where does it come from, God willing? But as we near Passover, let's make some choices in our life. Let's choose to be a grateful people, a thankful people. Let's choose to walk humbly with our God and to know him. Let's choose to be generous, not selfish. And let's choose to be holy before him as our worship team tried to lead us this morning in worship. And let's choose to be upheld by his grace and his power. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Blessed is he who trusts in the name of the Lord. Yeshua's calling for you is high. It's a much better calling than any calling in this world, anything. Because his calling on your life speaks of eternity, has eternal value to it. And I want to leave you with this passage of scripture as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. <laughs> You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. 
You are his own special people. Why? Because he purchased you with his shed blood. You were redeemed from the jaws of death and eternal damnation. You were redeemed. His own special people that you may proclaim what? The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I pray at this Passover that we will have breakthroughs in our hearts, our families, our relationships, that we'll have breakthroughs. Will you believe with me for breakthroughs? Let's pray for breakthroughs. In fact, let's pray right now, and then we'll conclude with the Lord's Supper today. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy extended to us, and we know that that came through a precious price, the shed blood of your holy son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Lord, I pray that you will grant unto us new victory in you, not for vain glory, but for your glory, that you might be glorified even more in our lives, that our attitudes, our actions, our words would be right before you, Lord. We pray for greater fruitfulness in ministry, reaching out to others around us, we pray that we would live sincerely before you in your truth, biblical truth, and not be caught up in the ways of this world, which lead to, it's a wide path that leads to destruction. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, as we come closer to this Passover season, prepare our hearts, remove the chametz, the yeast, all those things that are arrogant before you from our lives. And allow us, Lord, to truly be, as we just read in First Peter, to be a holy nation before you. Thank you, Lord. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.